Good. So we are um, still in the book of Philippians. Um, no surprise anybody there, I don't think. Um, and we are at Philippians chapter 2. We're looking verse 12 through to 18. So we're just going to read it first of all. And uh, so let's, let, let's, let's give it a go and then see what God's got to say to us through, through this. So um, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to work and to act according to his good purposes. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and deprived generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Mark, Mark Twain wrote, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Now, perhaps the, perhaps the thing that's most annoying about a good example is actually our inability to be able to either copy or to achieve it in any way within our lives. You know, it's, there's certainly nothing wrong with looking up to someone, to, to admire someone, to have a hero. Um, that's actually quite a good thing. In fact, there are plenty of people that can really in, inspire us in, in different areas of life, but actually they can't make us any better as a person. I like to do a little bit of running, um, but inconsistent at times, but I've always enjoyed running, um, you know, and, and I've, so over the years I've had various different heroes people I've looked up to. So you remember people like Steve Cram and, and Steve Ovette and, and, and those sort of guys, Sebastian Coe, and, and, and these sort of guys I looked up and thought, if, if I was, could just be like them, truth of the matter is, just admiring them hasn't made me any faster or any better as a runner. See, it takes more than a good example on the outside. It takes power on the inside. As we heard last week, Paul has presented to us Jesus in that magnificent description of who Jesus Christ is, the one who died for us on the cross, the one who rose again from the dead, the one who is exalted to the highest of places, that God given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. That is our Savior. That is our God. And as, and as Paul presents Jesus, he presents him as this great example. In fact, the best example of all of what it means to, to be servant-hearted, to have a submissive mind. And you can read it. You can even agree with it. But actually, it's a very, very different thing to begin to live it out within your life, to actually put it into practice. In fact, you could be forgiven for thinking, you know what? It seems impossible. Maybe even presumptuous to even try. But actually, through this description of Jesus Christ that we read in chapter 2, verses, verses 6 to 11, 
Paul is showing us the model of how we should try to live. But actually in the verses that follow, the verses that we're going to be looking at today, he says, it is God, it is God who will accomplish this within your life. It's through his divine power that we're going to be able to achieve this. Without it, it is actually impossible. But it's not by imitation. Now, imitation has its part. Imitation can be really helpful to us, but it's never going to be enough. It is the work of God in our lives by his spirit. As as Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 tells us, it is Christ living in me. So according to Paul... The Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. It is a process of in and out. God works in and we work out. And it's possible to cultivate this Christ-likeness, this godliness within our lives, but it's only by the divine power of God in our lives that actually makes it even possible. Now, Paul then takes a a different look at things because, yes, God works in us, but we have this responsibility within us. So Paul goes on to say in in these verses, he tells us, um, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to imagine for a moment that I have just bought you, this Christmas past, a brand new shiny sports car. Peter, what, what, what color would you like? Uh, blue. blue. So I bought Peter this fabulous, brand new, shiny sports car. The only problem is, it's parked outside the front of his house. He hasn't looked at it. He hasn't touched it. He, never mind sitting in it. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't driven it. Not even, not even looked at it. Not even for a second. I'm a bit disappointed, to be honest. <laughs> do, do, you know, do you know how much imaginary money that cost me? You know... We'll, we'll, we'll talk afterwards, okay? We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Now, if, if you've been around church for any length of time, you will, have, you will have heard me say that the gospel of God's forgiveness is a free gift from God. But then Paul goes on to say, tell us here now that we, we need to work it out with fear and trembling. So what's he getting at? Actually, the gospel is just like any other gift. A bit like that beautiful sports car that I bought for, for Peter that he hasn't even driven yet. How dare you? It's dreadful. Dreadful. <laughs> you know what? It, it needs to be driven. In fact, and in fact, the gospel, the gospel needs to take root within our lives. We, 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 need, we need the gospel to work in our lives. Yes, it's completely free, but it requires us to engage our wills, to, to put it into gear, to, to grow in obedience, to develop these things within our lives. We, we just don't ignore it. We don't just forget about it. To use a sporting illustration, we need to train ourselves to be like Jesus. Train ourselves in godliness, in Christ-likeness. And actually, as you begin to realize that this free gift cost Jesus everything, how much our Lord and Savior give for us, it should never be something that we take lightly or even take for granted. It's a treasure that we hold with fear and trembling. Not because it might be taken away from us, 
Not because God is going to attach some sort of extra conditions onto the gospel, but because it is enormous privilege that you've been called and chosen to receive it. And when Paul says, work out your salvation, what he's not saying is work for your salvation. Paul is speaking to Christians here. That's the, the group he's writing to. These, these men and women have put their trust in the Lord Jesus already. They, they, they know they've been called. They've been set apart by him. And so the idea behind this phrase, to work, to work out, is, is very similar to a farmer working on his field. A farmer wants to produce the, the land to produce as much, as many crops as it possibly can to be as productive as it's, as it's possible. So he, he plows it up, he, he, he harrows it, he, he prepares the soil, he makes sure it's ready, he sows the seed, he makes sure it's well watered, he cares. He, he, the, the land needs to be as absolutely productive as it possibly can. Listen, the purpose and the growth that God wants from you and wants you to achieve is Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of his Son. How do we cultivate that within our lives? We need to make sure our lives are prepared, are ready, are receiving, are, are, are working out God's salvation, to work out God's salvation with fear and, and trembling, and, but, but so often we look at this as just that little part of our lives that we, we, we look to Jesus. Maybe the, the hour we spend on a Sunday, and that's, that's, it's, it's so much more than that. I grew up on a, on a dairy farm, um, a farm that my dad built over a period of 40, 50 years, pretty much from nothing. And, and so the natural expectation was that from, from the local farmers, from the, from the friends around us, even from family sometimes, was that, that one day I would become a farmer, I would take over the family business. But my parents never forced me or pushed me in any particular direction. Yes, they encouraged me to work hard, but actually to work hard both at my studies and also on the farm as well. I did, I did both growing up. I, I, just, and, and, and I was never forced into a particular way of thinking or, or forced particularly by my dad to try and, and, and move into the whole farming thing. Instead, he encouraged me to work out my own way in the Christian life. In essence, to work out my salvation. Looking back now, my, you know, I'm pretty sure my dad would have loved me to farm, to take the business on, but he never forced me. My, my dad just wanted me to be happy, to find my own way to work out my salvation. Of course, that involves my relationship with Jesus. That's where it's got to begin in our connection with God. But actually, it involves my career. It involves the, the life steps I choose. It involves the person I marry. It involves where I'm living. It involves every aspect of our life. It involves your studies. Listen, everything is gospel. We don't, we don't separate off the little God bit from our lives. Everything God is interested in every aspect of our lives. And Paul says, so work it out. Work out your salvation in every part of your life. Bring it to God. It's relevant to what's going on. And one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that God has a plan for your life. And in fact, he wants you to work it out for his glory. See, God wants you to be happy. 
may be a shock to you, but I, I believe God wants you to be happy, to be joyful. Now, those are not necessarily the same things. You can actually be unhappy and still joyful in God, and sometimes that's the way we, we live. But actually, also, I think God wants us to, to have joy and, and, some, and happiness in our lives. But actually, our God, our God is a God of infinite variety. You know that no two flowers are the same? They say that no two snowflakes are identical. Now, I haven't personally checked them all, so I'm going to have to rely on somebody else for this. But, but I'm reliably informed that that is the case. So therefore, why would we expect that, that two Christians have to be exactly the same? All of us must be like Jesus Christ. But we must work out for ourselves and actually be ourselves as well. And the last thing that we need is cheap imitations of other Christians. Even if they're great Christians, we don't need people just trying to copy somebody else and be like somebody else. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to be like him. But to work out what that looks like for yourself, in your career, in your studies, in your situation that you find yourself in. And the principle that Paul lays down here is that God must work in us before he can work through us. And we see this time and time again across the Bible. So we, we read about men and women like, like Moses and Ruth, King David, Esther. Esther, who was chosen for such a time as this, the different apostles as well. And God has a special person for each person to fulfill. And every, every person is unique and is not intended to be some sort of copy or imitation of anybody else. So it took God 40 years in preparation to get Moses ready to be able to, to the point where he's able to lead the children of Israel. For Moses... His preparation, looking after sheep. Now, 40 years of do you think that Moses at some stage was thinking, God, you've got to have more for me than this? That all of the, you know, surely there's got to be more God. And, and yet, 40 years of preparation, I think in what happened later, it probably wasn't bad preparation in honesty as he tries to herd this nation of Israel into the promised land. But, but God is preparing him. He's working through him. And as God works in him, he's preparing all the time so that one day he'll be able to work through him. And the place that God has put you in at this moment is not an accident. It may feel even mundane, boring. And you're thinking, oh, God's got more for me than this. But God is working. He's working in you. He's preparing you. He's shaping your character that one day he will work through you for his glory, for his honor. And God is more interested in the person than he is in the work. Because of God, because, sorry, if because if the person is who he or she ought to be, then the work will be what it ought to be. And God has uniquely gifted you. You need to be hearing from God for yourself. You need to be filled with, with his spirit. And, and, and you need to be that person that God has made you to be, to be faithful to him, to be obedient to him, but to honor him in your life. It's a story, I may have told it before, so apologies if you've heard it before, but when I went to university doing my final exams at university, one of the students in my class came to me and he said to me, Keith, you wouldn't mind if I could borrow just some of your notes 
Now, this guy was a mature student, so it meant that he was, he got, he was married, he had a, he had a family, he, he worked in the supermarket at night, he, he was stacking shelves at night time. It meant when he, by the time he got into lectures, he either didn't appear or else he pretty much slept through most of them. So I said to him, I says, which, which bits of, you, of, of the course are you missing? He says, you wouldn't mind if I could borrow them all? So over the next few weeks, he, he borrowed and, and photocopied three years' worth of notes. He went home and learnt them all off. We sat our final exams and went to find out what results I got. I got a second-class honours degree. I was sort of half-happy with that. It was deemed okay. Went to see how my friend got on. You never guess what. He got exactly the same mark as me. And I, I was quite annoyed, to be honest. I see, I thought I should have done better than him. I'd been the one who'd been to all the lectures, had done all the, all the preparation, all the work is involved with it, in all of that. I, I should have at least done just even, even a little bit, but certainly should have done better than he did. And sometimes we think that way concerning God. Particularly the gifts and the ministries and the things that God has put into our lives, the blessings that God has given to us. And we think, you know what, God, you owe me something out of this. I've put a lot of effort in here. But it's God who decides how he blesses. And what God chooses to do and who he chooses to do with is his decision. And sometimes we need to be patient. Perhaps it's a word for some of you. We, you need to learn patience as you wait on God. Sometimes, you know, we just want God to hurry up. And God says, that's exactly the point. I want you to learn patience. And often we find we don't move on in certain areas until we've actually dealt with or learnt certain things within our lives. And God is gracious with us. But actually, sometimes we just need to stop for a moment just to remind ourselves all that Jesus Christ has done for us, all that God has done in our lives. And we... Just look how far we've grown in our faith. Look how much God has blessed us and, and what he saved us from. And just stop for a moment and be thankful. And if you can't think of anything, can I suggest you turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's perhaps something we could be thankful for. Through him, we've also obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, if, if that's the best that we have, it's not everything we need. God will dispense his blessings as he, as he chooses. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And if, if we end up the least in the kingdom of God, in, in Jesus' kingdom, actually, it's a million times better than anything that we could ever deserve because it's by his grace that we have received his free and just his unmerited favor in our lives. But we, we live in this, in this world which is, is um, I guess, desperately, desperately need of Jesus. And it's so important that we remember that, that we need to live differently in the middle, as Paul describes, as a crooked and twisted generation. 
See, there's no opt-out clause. We, we sort of, you know, we, we, we don't just retreat away from society and, 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 and sort of go, go into some sort of spiritual isolation. But actually, the amazing and wonderful thing is that the encouragement that is us in God, that God will never leave you to work out your faith or work out your salvation on your own. He works with you and in you, and he has big plans for your life. And God, God wants to make you pure and holy like his son Jesus. He wants to help you to tell the truth. To be self-controlled. To show love. To think pure thoughts. To speak up for Jesus. To be a defender of the, the faith of the gospel. To be generous. To be humble. You know, God is much more interested in those things working in your life than perhaps all the other stuff that we feel we should be doing for him. It was only when we confront the needs and the problems of everyday life that we begin to grow more like Jesus. The reason why we are in this world, the reason why there are sometimes challenges around us, because that is what will develop the character of Christ in your life. You don't step out. Nothing is gained when you keep yourself away or isolate yourself from, from things. Part of our journey as we grow in Christ comes as we live life and sometimes in a difficult world. Perhaps that feels a million, million times away from where you are at this particular moment. And I guess often the biggest problem within many of our lives is that we, we don't really want to change. We don't really want to become like Jesus, at least not in that particular area of my life. And, and yet sometimes we will never move on until we deal with that particular blockage, maybe that particular sin, that particular issue that needs to be dealt with and confronted. But the great miracle of all is that it is God who will work that miracle in your life. So I dare you. This morning, I dare you to ask God to change your heart. I dare you to pray, God, make me more like Jesus. Because if you pray that way, if you pray a prayer like that, God hears, God answers those sort of prayers because you're praying according to his will, according to his purposes in your life. But I will warn you that godliness never comes cheap and it never comes easily. You need to train yourself. You need, to, you need a coach for this, to be fair. It's the Holy Spirit. He is our coach. It begins when we surrender ourselves over to God. But again, even this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the power that is at work within you. In fact, the same power that empowered the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God's Spirit at work within you. And this is available for you right here, right now. But the big question is, how do we learn to cultivate a place where God's Spirit can really work and really make an impact in each of our lives? And Paul gives three tools that we need to use. The first, God's word. Second, prayer. And the third, unfortunately, suffering. First is God's word. And God's divine power is released in our lives through his inspired word. And the same words that spoke this universe into existence can release divine power within each of our lives. And God's word is unique. It is inspired. It is authoritative. 
And, but we have this responsibility to actually appreciate it, but also to receive it into our lives. And as you expose yourself to God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to coach us, what happens is that the truth of God's Word, it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it, it trains us. And the more that we listen to it, the more it begins to change us. But it's not just simply listening. It's not just simply reading God's Word. We must make it a part of our innermost being. It needs to become, in fact, it is spiritual food and nourishment to our souls. But it doesn't even stop there. Because finally, we must apply it to our lives. And we, 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 we must trust God's Word, but also act on it. We, we've got to put it into practice. And it's practice that puts feet on God's word that applies the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the coach to our lives. Listen, there are no shortcuts here to godliness. There's no shortcuts to Christ-likeness. This is practice. You need it. You need to, you need to seek God in, in, in all of this to find his help as you, you work this through. But you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's developing the correct concept of God's character, a pervasive sense of His presence, but also just the constant awareness of our responsibility. So as we fill our minds with biblical truth, as we spend time in Scripture, as we meditate on them, as we become such a part of our lives, we ply them into our lives, and we keep doing that until it transforms us, until it keeps changing us. And God's Word has the power to accomplish the impossible but it's faith that will release that power. It's a story told in the Bible in the New Testament about Jesus and one of his disciples, Peter. They're in a boat. You may know the story. They're in a boat in the middle of the sea, and Jesus comes walking on the water towards them. And Peter sees him coming, and Peter says, can I come and join you? And Jesus says, yes, come on. And because of Jesus' command, it enables Peter to walk on the surface of the water as long as he exercises his faith. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. He begins to go under the water. It is faith in God's promises that releases God's power within our lives. But listen, even that faith is a gift from God. We depend on him for every aspect of our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So that through him, the amen is spoken by us for the glory of God. And we need to be men and women who love God's word, who live God's word, but most importantly, are shaped by God's word. The second thing is prayer. If you want God's power in your life, yes, you need to spend time in God's word, but also you need to be men and women of prayer. Again, it's the Holy Spirit is closely related to this practice of prayer within our lives. You know, if we don't spend time in prayer, we certainly limit if not reduce completely the ability of, of, of God to use us for his glory. Certainly seems to be what Scripture would say. In fact, as we look particularly down through church history, we see that God uses men and women who pray. Now, God can use anyone. Don't get me wrong. God can use absolutely anyone. But if you want to know God's power in your life, 
become a praying person, someone who goes to God in prayer. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3, 20 says, but if we pray to him, he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is, work, uh, uh, that is at work within us. You know, one of the routines of my life is, is prayer. I'm not always good at it. Sometimes I ebb and flow with it. Sometimes I struggle, as, as we all do, with prayer. But actually, from a, 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 as, a, as a young man, I just developed a discipline within my life of prayer. And out of that routine, I've always learned to pray for, for my work colleagues, for those folks around me. It's, just, it's, it's something of a, a practice with, within my life. And I remember one of the very first jobs that I ever got was in an opticians, where just a group of people, who they just love to party. And I just finished university, the first job I had, had got. And so from time to time, I would, would go out with them. And they were, they were a pretty lively bunch. Um, one of the ladies in particular was in her mid-50s, and, and she was just the life and the soul of this, this whole party scene. So I began to pray for her. Trying to pray for others as well and gently talk to them and just respond to the questions that they, they had about, about Jesus. You know, about a year later, she walks into work one day, completely out of the blue, and she announces, I've just become a Christian. I've just given my life to Jesus. And she is radiating the presence of Christ. And the change and the testimony was so evident, it just made this massive impact, not just among the work colleagues, but among her family, among her friends. Her daughter and her son-in-law became Christians. One of the other receptionists gave her life to Jesus. One of the opticians who had sort of, I guess, backslidden a little bit away from Jesus had rededicated her life to, to God. But my favorite part of this story is about a, a girl, one of the other receptionists called Deidre. She was just watching everything that is going on. And a few weeks went past and then she started coming along to the little discipleship group that we had begun in, in work. And she asked lots of questions, and eventually she came to me and said to me, Keith, how do I become a Christian? It's a great question, isn't it? <laughs> so I says, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy, Deidre. It says, it's, it's, it's as simple as A, B, C. Just, you know, you, A, you, you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that you need Jesus to come into your life. B, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sin, that he, he rose again from the dead, that he's alive, that he is your living Savior. And then C, you confess your sins. You come to Jesus. You give your life over to him. And then she asked me another question. How am I going to know? I had to think about that one. I just said, you know, as God reveals himself to you, as you pray that God will do that, you'll know. Normally I will sit down and pray with somebody there, but in a busy workplace it wasn't, isn't always appropriate. So I, I give her a little booklet with a little prayer on the, the bottom of it that she could use. And I said, when you go home tonight, I want you to get somewhere quiet. I want you to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. But at 9 o'clock that evening, I got a phone call. It's Deidre. And she's half laughing, half crying, and she just simply says, Keith, I know. I know. And in her bedroom, she knelt by her bed by herself. She prayed to Jesus. God revealed himself. 
And God did a work of grace within her heart that evening. Prayer changes lives. Sometimes takes time. Sometimes needs us to persevere in prayer. But prayer will change lives. And this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, anything, according to his will, he hears us. It's 1 John 5 verse 14. So guys, develop a great prayer life. Make it a routine. You know, there are some routines, some disciplines in life which are good. They aren't all bad. Spending time in God's Word and prayer is essential if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is suffering. You know, the Spirit of God works in a special way in the lives of those who suffer for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul himself had experienced this, and, 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 and actually the last time that he was in Philippi, Paul was in a Philippian jail. Now, his, the people he's writing to would have known this story, and, and Paul has been tortured, he's been, he's been beaten, he's been thrown into prison, but even in those circumstances, what's Paul doing? He's singing. <laughs> he's singing praises to God. And as the story goes on, we discover an earthquake rips the place apart. It, it just destroys everything. The gates and the whatever are, are open. It means that every prisoner in that place could just walk out through the door. They don't. But when the jailer sees what's gone on, what's happened there, he panics. He's about to take his, his own life. And it's Paul's encouraging words that stop him. And he says, don't do it. We are all still here. At that, the jailer falls at Paul's feet and is saved. He gives his life to Jesus. Now, I don't think it was necessarily the earthquake that brought conviction to that man. I'm pretty sure it, it could be Paul's words that certainly softened his heart. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit that actually convicts and saves well, that earthquake certainly got his attention. And it's so often that suffering and those earthquakes within our lives that drive us to God's word, that drive us to prayer, and all three of these things lead us to becoming more and more like Jesus. And Jesus' life was so different from, from anybody else around him. He was like this, this shining star in the, the, the darkest and blackest of night skies. And Paul tells us here, that's how you need to be living as well, to be stars that shine out the presence of Christ into a dark world and all around you. In fact, the world hasn't changed very much, I don't think, in, in probably thousands of years. There's still this sort of philosophy within the world that's just based on aggression. So you're told if you want to get ahead, you fight for it, don't you? You, you? you fight for position, for power. You fight, for, you fight everybody until you rise to the top. And Jesus proved that that way of thinking and behaving just, just, was just completely wrong. Jesus, he never used a sword. He never used any form of weapon. Yet he won the greatest battle in all of world history as he defeated sin and death and hell. And he defeated hatred with manifest love. He overcame lies with truth. And because he surrendered, he became victorious. 
And as we just pull things to a close here this morning, I just want to finish by asking a question. Will you dare to believe his promises? Will you? Will you dare to believe and take God's word as truth and believe the promises? Jesus says in Luke, he says, for all who, are, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And one day, when Jesus, one day Jesus Christ will return, and there we will have joy unspeakable we don't have to wait until then to experience joy. Joy can be there for us right here, right now. It can be a reality in our lives. And Paul says it comes through sacrifice and through service. And remarkably, Paul says actually that it's suffering that will lead us into this deepest joy in Christ. So nothing can rob Paul of his joy. Absolutely nothing. So even in death, he is, it's a willing sacrifice, a priestly ministry on behalf of Christ. And even that is going to bring him joy. To live like this requires faith. You must believe God's promises are true and that they are going to work in your life in exactly the same way that they work in Paul's life. And God works in us through his word through prayer, through suffering, and we work out our faith in our daily lives, in our service for God, and as God works in, we work out. An example comes from Christ. The power comes from the Holy Spirit, and the result is joy. So what areas are you struggling with? Is it to live like Jesus? To be Christ-like? I wonder, are we willing to make those changes to deal with those things within life? Perhaps those blockages that, that stop us moving on and moving ahead in Christ? Are, are the, what, what areas do we need to look at? And I just pray, Father, Holy Spirit, just come and reveal those to us. We said in your presence that you would show us what needs to be dealt with as we develop in our characters, we become more godly, more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes it takes us to be willing to ask for help, to ask Jesus to come and fill us, yes, but to, to say, God, I need to deal with this. As the Spirit reveals in our lives, we need to deal with those issues and those situations. Perhaps the thing that you struggle with is prayer and, and, and spending time in God's Word. I wonder how your, your daily devotion is with, with God. We need to be spending time in His Word. If we're not feeding ourselves, if we're not, if we're not feeding ourselves on God's Word and, 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 and just allowing God to communicate with us as we communicate with Him through prayer, we're not going to see growth in our lives. It's a daily walk. Just coming here on a Sunday morning is not enough. We need to be getting into God's Word for ourselves. It's, it's part of our journey of, of, of growth in Christ-likeness. How are you doing with that whole area? Again, we bring it back to God again. We ask for God's help by His Spirit. What about living in joy? It's a hard one. So we get all the things right in our lives 
joy comes, but joy again comes as a gift of God's Spirit into our lives. Don't be afraid to ask Him. A God who gives good gifts to His children. Let us grow like His Son, Jesus. Let us become more like Him. Yes, let's be imitators of Him, but let's allow God to work within us by His Spirit to make us more and more and more like Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray, Lord, as we bring things to a close here this morning, that you would continue to speak to us. And Father, we would just deal with some of these issues and some of these things within our lives that need to be put right with you. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that does the miracle. As you have saved us, as you've brought us closer to Jesus, Lord, you continue to do that work within us. As we work out our salvation, we do it, Lord, with your help and by your power and in your strength. So God, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.